This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com, the Big Change Program, and Well Start Health. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live an excellent and evolving life. All right, if you love transformation stories, you're in for a treat today because my guest Fraser Bailey's arc of transformation is long and inspiring and it is comprehensive. Growing up in Auckland, New Zealand, Fraser was a poor student who struggled in school despite putting in the effort. He felt stupid, like there was something wrong with him. And his social anxiety was so severe that he dropped out of college, but he managed to keep a crushing load of student debt. And when an after-school job at a local supermarket offered him a chance to learn about butchery, he jumped on the opportunity to apprentice himself in that really grueling trade because it didn't require smarts or much reading or sitting still, just sort of brute strength and work ethic. And probably no surprise, but butchery was and is a male-dominated field where toxic masculinity is both a prerequisite and an outcome of this brutal, repetitive, soul-numbing work. All through that process, Fraser suffered from bipolar episodes, which he self-medicated through alcohol, drugs, and the company of other alienated, emotionally scarred, quote, alpha males. And it's not like there was a ladder for advancement in butchery, because when Fraser was a young man, there were 50-year-olds working the same jobs they had done for decades at the butchery, And every single day was a dirty, miserable, and inhumane repetition of the day before. So, of course, he felt hopeless and stuck. And then one day, as he puts it, the pain of remaining the same became sharper and more acute than the pain of trying to change. And this story, this arc of transformation from butcher to vegan bodybuilder to vegan activist to animal rights champion and to a human being who has experienced profound healing. We'll be talking about all that in today's episode, but first, a little bit of business. And both businesses involve WellStart Health, my startup. So the first one is, if you are looking for the Big Change Program and you're looking to take your health, your fitness, your life energy to the next level, and you've been waiting for another bobsled run of the Big Change Program, well, it's starting on May 17th. You can read about the spirit of the program at bigchangeprogram.com. However, because we've merged with WellStart, we have changed a bunch of things, so don't hold us to all the details. When you're ready, you can go to wellstarthealth.com slash program and read about it, and you can sign up right from there. Second thing is, as we're growing, we are looking for coaches. Um, And so we're going to be running a training program for coaches, probably starting in June. So if you are a coach who embraces a plant-based lifestyle and who lives it, um, including the fitness, the mindfulness, all the good stuff, you don't have to be perfect, none of us is, but uh, you have to be committed to, uh, to going through the journey just like all the people will be coaching. Or if you'd like to learn how to be a coach, if you are someone who is interested in getting into the field of plant-based nutrition or coaching or health coaching, Um, we will be having a training program. So if you already know about the diet and the facts of the science, then we will give you the tools to be able to help people make that transition in their own lives. If you have questions about any of that stuff, email me, hj at plantyourself.com. 
If not, just sit back and enjoy this episode. So without further ado, Fraser Bailey, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Howard, it is a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. So let's, uh, let's start with your story because it's a, a pretty amazing one. So a lot of people have yeah. their before and afters, but very few people's <laughs> yeah. befores are as sort of starkly different from where they are now as, as yours mm. is. You want to just like, like go in and give, yeah. give us the talk. Yeah, man. I mean, it's funny because, you know, like um, Josh Lejoni put us together and he's had a, a prolific physical transformation um, literally halving his body weight. And a lot of people have these really profound visual, physical transformations. And while I've still had a physical transformation, the, the internal stuff, the mental stuff um, has been so, so profound in my life. And it's hard because you can't really take a picture of that. It's hard to, ta- it's hard to document or measure that because how do you measure mental shift? And um, so for, for your listeners who don't know, I used to be a butcher. Um, I was a butcher for six years. Um, now vegan advocate and nutritionist, just overall vegan junkie. I just love this lifestyle. I love what it represents. I love meeting the people like yourself, like Josh, um, within this, this movement. And alongside the butchery thing, I had a lot of mental health problems as well. So this is sort of this this stemmed from my early teens all the way through to my early 20s so it was over about a 10 year period where i was diagnosed with bipolar disorder which is a form of manic depression a pretty common in, in today's society now um heavily medicated for that i had severe social anxiety to the point where i was studying college and my anxiety got so bad that I just stopped going. Um, I was left with a whole lot of student debt. And because the fear was that great that it just overrided my sort of rationale to stick with it and, and make it through. And um, I also had ADHD, which is a learning disability. So it's just the, the, basically an inability to concentrate for extended periods of time, sort of hyper hyperactive, and I, I guess. Um, and so you combine those three things with just a, a lifestyle that was just not congruent with health. Um, a lot of weekend binge drinking and and drug use and just being in a really bad environment in general. And then during the week, I'm in a butchery, which in and of itself is just a super toxic environment with a lot of hyperinflated masculine energy um it was just uh, everything about that old life was really incongruent with optimal health on all fronts and so that's where i began man um so it's what, a, yeah what uh, what drew you to butchery it, it's funny because i was working part-time after school and i was working in one of the local big supermarket chains And it's funny because you go to apply for a job there and typically what you'll find is that they get the the boys and they put them in the butchery, the deli, the seafood department, 
the grocery aisles where they're lifting heavy boxes. So they get put into the roles of like the, the behind the scenes, heavy lifting kind of the things that women would shy away from for the most part. And then the, the woman, the girls at the time, they get put into sort of checkout customer service roles. And so I just happened to fall. They just, they just jammed me in butchery. And um, at the time I was just like a, a cleanup boy. I was just cleaning up the the mess at the end of the day after the. And you were what, what like sixteen, seventeen? Yeah, six, sixteen. Um, so fact, not probably, exactly not exactly a career choice. This was just like get, you yeah. know, get a job, make some money. Exactly. And, you know, we can't really tell how like, big and strong you are from from your uh, <laughs> yeah. from your shot on, on the on this call, but uh, I'm, I'm guessing you know you're a, a substantial. Yeah, specimen like oh this this guy can can lift carcasses right? Yeah, I mean I definitely I think most people would probably consider me pretty pretty strong and, and pretty big, um, but you definitely fall into that role. And like you were saying, it wasn't like a, a career choice that I chose. I was working there part time after school at first just to make some extra money, and then I was really struggling in school. Like I, school was just one of those things with that with the ADHD with the depression, you combine those two things together. I was one of those students who was trying at the time before I ended up, I just gave up after a while, but initially I was getting, you know, B's and A's for effort, but I was like that D and C student in terms of achievement. So I felt stupid. Like I felt like I was, something was wrong with me. Like why, uh, why are my friends getting a B's and A grades and I'm getting C's and D's and I'm trying and so I was like, you know what? Like, maybe I'm just not good at this stuff. Maybe I'm just not good at school. Maybe I just need to go out and just start making some money. And that's when I was already had this part-time job. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to do this full time. Like it was mm-hmm. at the time, all I could think about was what was easiest and what was just going to make me some money right then and there. And so I, fa- I approached the butchery and I said, can I, can I come in and work full time? And they, they were you know, impressed with my work ethic in terms of how I got jobs done. And so they gave me an apprenticeship as a butcher. And that's how that whole journey began in terms of like going through an apprenticeship and seeing the process in a slaughterhouse and all the, all the behind the scenes stuff from start to finish at the age of 16. So, and, and, and where was this? Where'd you grow up? In New Zealand, Auckland, New Zealand. So, um, it's it's New Zealand is very well known for its dairy industry. They have a big farming culture down there. So farming and dairy is a very big um, industry within New Zealand. So there was just a lot of demand for like what we did in terms of that food culture. Um, and we, and I worked in one of the biggest, largest butcheries in New Zealand. So the volume and the things I was seeing were the highest capacity. It wasn't like a small privately owned store. It was like a big chain. Mm-hmm. So. so, you know, I, I don't know much about the, uh, the butchery industry. Um, I thought that you just, you know, you got the, I don't know what I thought, like the animals already <laughs> maybe, you know, dead and unrecognizable as a creature, but said so you, yeah. you, you worked in the slaughter, you did slaughterhouse work as well. So t- like, take us through like what you saw. Yeah. Yeah, so so basically, so you are right. So basically, within the butchery, you get the animal in its dead form. I guess um, you know, for the most part, it doesn't even really look like an animal anymore. It just looks like a a carcass. I guess what you see in movies or whatever. That was our role to take it from that place. Um, 
but as part of the apprenticeship, we would go to slaughterhouses to see the process from the beginning. And, and it was funny because, you know, going through these places, um, there was a couple of things that in hindsight that I noticed now that I didn't even think about at the time. And, and predominantly, I would say 99.5% of all the people that worked in the slaughterhouses and butcheries were male. Um, very, very few females. And I, and I think that part of that is that masculine identity around eating animals and eating meat and, and doing that hunting, that sort of tribal hunting job as opposed to gathering. And it still seems to transcend culture even today, but just in a different form. And um, also just the type of energy that being in a place like that kind of like generated in me. Um, I, you know, I remember sort of seeing the, the, the fear and in, in animals faces. And at the time I just didn't even think about, you know, like what was happening really. I just saw it as food and I just thought it was a necessary part of the process. And um, I was sort of so caught up in my own head in terms of my own mental health. I couldn't even really contemplate like, is this even necessary? Is this healthy? Is this right? Is this moral? And all those other things. Um, and then, you know, being in the butchery, we would see these animals come through and we would be processing them, um, you know, on band saws and breaking them down with knives. And there was many times where we'd hit cysts and tumors and all kinds of abscesses and things. And for the most part, there was no protocol in terms of like, you know, you got to like completely discard this whole carcass and, 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 mm. can t- and clean the area and all that. There was none of that. It was like, let's just kind of cut the little piece out and wipe it off with a cloth and try and hide it as much as possible, send it down to the packers to be trayed up. And if there's anything that does look discolored, let's just throw it in the meat grinder and grind it through for like burgers. And so there was this whole process of, um, Really, there was no quality standard. And this is in New Zealand where I think for the most part, the quality standard is probably higher than in the US. And so I can only imagine what happens in some of the butchery and, and, and factories here. Meaning that we're, we're, we're eating animals that are, that are riddled with, with cancers. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, the, the amount of tumors and cysts and cancers and things I saw, especially in pigs, um, was just profound. Um, it was, it was almost a, a daily occurrence and sometimes we'd hit them when we were running them through the bandsaw and they'd burst all over the bandsaw and then you just kind of wipe it off. It's like, there was no con- like contamination protocol or, you know, disinfectant protocol. It was just kind of wipe it off with a dirty rag and just keep going. And I don't, and you know, what's funny is that seeing that didn't even put me off eating meat at the time. It just put me off eating certain types of meat. So like, I wouldn't eat those things. I wouldn't eat the ground beef or the hamburgers. I wouldn't eat certain things. But in my head, I saw that there was less of it in other parts of animals, so I would eat certain things. But, I mean, most people are like, so you saw all of that and more, and you still kept eating meat. And I'm like, that the disconnect is just so deep um, for so many of us. And I, I was, I'll admit, I was one of those people. So what was, what was good about it? For you, uh, there must have you know. Yeah, you're a strong guy. There's you had lots of opportunities, and you mentioned the masculinity. Like what? Yeah. What, what was there that fed you at the time? I think what was good in turn, like one of the things I do think it helped me with was build some discipline. So like, I was a pretty ill-disciplined 
you know, youth growing up, I, 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 I rebelled quite a lot. And I think that being in an environment like that where um, there was a lot of alpha male aggression, it was almost like being in the military in a way. Like you had to be there on time. You had to get the work done. You had to get it done to the highest standard, what they thought it was. You had to stay to the very end. So it did teach me to be very like uh, very prompt with my time and, and be very good at like managing my time and just be very organized. So from that perspective, I do feel like that helped shape me today in terms of taking that time effectiveness and being organized to like, you know, as an entrepreneur now and a vegan nutritionist and help translate that over. Um, in terms of um, the, the things I can see now that are beneficial of, for what I went through was just that sort of hyper inflated masculine energy. I, you know, I see that now as a lot of misguided hurt, lost people and at the time i was kind of angry and i felt like that you know these guys are preying on me because i was like sort of the bottom of the pecking order the bottom of the wolf pack mm. and i felt like they were picking on me and preying on me and you know in many cases they were but i look back now and i recognize that th those people it's just a byproduct of our system they're just a byproduct of our food system someone has to do that job and typically what you'll find is that most rational, happy people do not want to be in that environment. So it takes a person who's already kind of dysfunctional and potentially mentally ill to even want to work in an environment like that to begin with. Mm. And so part of it for me was like, like did the mental illness um, get magnified and proliferated being in that environment or did is it draw people like that in who are already like that to begin with? And I think part of it's a bit of both. I think it draws those types of people in because they're the only people who can handle a job like that. And because they're all around each other with that illness and the addiction and the aggression kind of feeds off each other. And um, I just was a byproduct of that as well. Mm -hmm. So at the, at the time you're at the bottom of this wolf pack, did you have yeah. aspirations to like, like in the military to, you know, the, the, the grunt climb the, gets, climb the gets abused and then you go, like, well, <laughs> you know, I know what they're doing and I'm going to, I'm going to make it. And then I'm going to get to do this to somebody else. Yeah. And you know, you know, it's funny as I look, I think back now and I honestly don't think there was any real aspiration. Like in my head, it was, it was become a butcher, get qualified and then just do that job and make as much money as I can. It wasn't like, unless you get into a managerial position, there isn't really like much of the ladder you can climb. And I saw that because a lot of the guys in there were, you know, I was, I was under 20. I was, and I went through sort of my early twenties in there. And a lot of the guys were in their thirties, forties and fifties, and they were still in the same position they'd been in 10, 20 years ago. Um, and, and, and coupled that with just, like that, it was that that former belief around, you know, when I went to school and I, and I had the ADHD learning disabilities and I felt like I wasn't very good. I think that mindset trickled over and just kind of made me keep my ambitions quite low. Mm -hmm. Like I, 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 I lowered the bar for myself because I felt like that way I won't be disappointed. You know, I'd, be, I'd be, tried so many things. I tried in school. I'd I felt like I failed. And if I keep the bar pretty low, like I won't, I won't disappoint myself anymore. So like the ambition just wasn't there. I mean, the only time 
that I really had ambition to change anything was at the very end when I just got to the point where I knew this was not for me anymore. You know, when I was waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning and crying before I had to go to work because the environment was so toxic, it was just affecting my mental health so much. Everything about my life was terrible. Like my diet was terrible. I drank too much. I didn't work out. I wasn't active at all. And I just thought to myself, there's got to be more to life than this. I'm only 21, 22, and I cannot see myself doing this for another year let alone five years, let alone 10. Mm-hmm. And, and there were and guys that, there in their what, 30s, 40s, 50s who were just... Yep. And they, and they were in there, you know, some of these guys were you know, 40 and 50 and they've been doing it for decades and they were still in the same position and they still talked about the same things. They still did the, did the same things. They drink um, on their last shift before their day off. They'd pull out the cases of beer and sit in the back and just drink. And that was their thing. Like, that's all they did. And... when I finally got to a point where I was like, I just cannot take this anymore. I feel like there's got to be more to life than than this. And that's when I I handed in my resignation and I decided to go back to college to study nutrition Um, because I'd already started going to the gym a little bit. And I found that it was something I enjoyed and it was something that I could control. I could, I felt like for once in my life, I could see that the effort I was putting in, was getting some form of result, Hmm. um, a positive result. And so like that's sort of became a little bit of an addiction for me in the sense that it was something that helped me feel better. Um, And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to go study personal training and nutrition. And that's when I left. And I feel like that was the only time during that whole process of being in the butchery where I felt like I actually had ambition to, to, to do something more. Yeah, it's interesting because the way you're describing this group of men, it's almost like the way you would describe like dairy cows or some some set of creatures who are, yeah. you know, basically tortured so that everyone else can have something that they don't have to think about that's, or suffer for. That's a really I, I love that analogy, man. I really do. Like I didn't even think of that. that that's a great analogy, and you know, a lot of these these people are just tortured human beings um they're, they're they had their job exists because there's a demand for it and it's a it's an unpleasant job it's a horrible job and that being in a butchery was bad enough spending like time and days in a slaughterhouse that place is even worse that it's it's like the the energy and the sort of the toxic vibe you get from the people in that that space is, is even worse than being in a butchery. And I do think you're right. I think that because there is still a demand there for those products, I think that someone has to fulfill that role. And these people, in a way, are suffering. I mean, I know I was one of them. Um, I was just lucky enough to get out, <laughs> get out and, and completely change the way I see everything. Yeah. And so... I'm curious because you, you you went in at 16 with a really low self-esteem with yeah. huge limitations on what you thought you could accomplish. You yep. spent five years, you know, it sounds like you were you know, drinking, abusing drugs. Like you weren't um, like giving yourself evidence of, of like this inner potential. But so, it sounds like something was building 
in you, at least when you said, you know, I can, I can become a nutrition, I can go back to school, I can, yeah. I can fix. Like, can you um, identify some little pearl of, of self-esteem yeah. that was growing during that time? Yeah, it, it's funny because I love that question because it definitely makes me question how that catalyst began. And I think part of it was that that idea of the pain of remaining the same had out and, you know, exceeded the pain of change. So like in my head, it was more painful to sit in that position and sit on that proverbial nail hmm. and not move. It, it was, it, the, the, it was easier to get up and change, you know, and very often I, I noticed that with a lot of people just across the board in life, you know, when they have these, these moments in their life where they change something, often it's because the pain got so bad and they tolerated that pain for an extended period of time to the point where the pain became, it, it hit a tipping point. And it's sort of just something broke because it's like the dam breaks yeah. because that, that, that chronic suffering is just too much. And yeah, I think but you, me, you could have become a truck driver or <laughs> any, a construction right? worker yeah. or a carpenter, but you, you kind of went in this opposite direction. It wasn't just the pain of butchery was too much. It was like the pain of something, something yeah. deeper, the pain of not being true to something that you discovered in yourself. Almost. I, I think part of it was because I was lucky enough that sort of towards the end of, of my butchering, I was seeing a therapist, a psychologist. Mm. And one of the things he suggested to me was he was like, have you ever worked out or done any form of like, exercise you know i was like well i mean butchering is pretty physical like i'm pretty exhausted by the time i've done all that stuff all day and he's like no i'm talking about like something that's not work related you know whether it's running or you know body weight workouts or in the gym or just anything have you ever really done any of that stuff and and i was like no and he's like maybe there's something you should start doing you know try to see how it makes you feel and I, and at the first I was like, oh man, you know, I'm already exhausted. Like I, I get home every day and I pretty much just fall face first on the bed, like just drained. And I started anyway, and it was, it was patchy at first, you know, it was like a lot of people when they start something, it's not necessarily consistent. You don't really enjoy it. It hurts. It doesn't feel that good. And I think that that suggestion from him ultimately is what triggered that positive turn around in that shift in the sense that I did it consistently enough that I started feeling better and seeing some, some changes through it. What, what sorts of changes? So in terms of like, um, you know, how I look, because at the time um, I didn't, I, I was a very, I was a really small guy. I felt just like I was picked on. I was preyed on. Like I was the one of the smaller ones. So there's a physical aspect to that. So I felt like I was getting stronger. I felt like I looked better. Um, I felt like people sort of noticed that and would compliment me and it would make me feel good. And then also I found that through exercise, I actually started to get like to get more energy. It was weird because it sounds counterintuitive to a lot of people that they think, well, if I'm going to go and work out or run or exercise or whatever it is, I'm going to have less energy. And, and typically sedentary people, they, they don't generate more energy. When you move more, you typically generate more energy. And I felt like I started to notice that my mental health stuff improved. Like I, my mood started to, to balance out more. I started to get in, into sort of new circles of friends in terms of 
I would find that people at the gym, I started having more in common with them. And they were, they were, you know, five or 10, 15 years older than me. So they'd been through a lot of more life challenges than I had. So they'd sort of have wisdom to pass down to me. And so the circle of friends that I was hanging out with my age and a lot of drinking and stuff, I started to sort of distance myself from them. And I think it was a combination of new circles of friends that were already into health and fitness, how it made me feel mentally, how it made me feel physically. It, it got me hooked in the sense that, you know what, like I enjoy this and I recognize that it's helped get me out of that mental spiral. I want to try and learn more about this. Mm. Um, so I, I think it was a kind of culmination of different things coming together, if that makes any sense. Uh-huh. Was it also that, that there's a culture at the gym of better? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that, you know, and it's funny because you bring that up and we watched this um, Netflix documentary last night, actually. It's called Strong and it's on Strongman and they compete at the Arnold's in, uh, in Ohio and, um, it's all to do with like, you know, the thing, the crazy stuff they'll basically do to become the strongest man in the world, like all the food they eat and all the training. And it just looks, it looks horrible basically. <laughs> I mean, they just, they're force feeding themselves 10 times a day, 10,000 calories. They're, 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 they're all overweight. They look like their blood pressure's through the roof. And this, and is, and this my, is for, for people who just want, who want to not, not bodybuilders. This is strong. Yeah. Strength. So this is strong man. Yeah. So this is like a test of strength. So these guys are huge. They're like six foot five, 400 pounds. And I, I'm coming back to what you were talking about, like a competition of strength and things like that. It's another mask, I think. It's definitely something to do with how you can then rank yourself or you can feel like more of a man, basically, or more of a fulfilled person through the act of strength, mm-hmm. through the act of, of achieving something physical. And at the time, I never really, I never really thought of it like that. I never really recognized that. But now, I definitely recognize that, you know, in bodybuilding and in, in powerlifting and, and strongman stuff and any of those things, there's definitely a physical component to that in terms of, you know, feeling like it's an extension of yourself, feeling like you need this body or you need this strength as a representation of you being more of something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely feel like that was a part that probably hooked me. Um, it definitely got me early on um, and got me sort of in that competitive mindset of, of getting stronger physically. So, so what happened when you left and went to back to school? Um, I, I assume it wasn't a vegan curriculum. <laughs> no. So that's the hard part is that, you know, you go through these, these college degrees and, Everything is is basically textbook funded and studied by, you know, big animal agriculture. So they're promoting a paradigm of of eating animals and typically everything that's the epicenter and everything pivots around animal consumption. Um you know, you've got to have your complete proteins with every meal and, and hit a certain amount of protein per gram of body weight and all these different things. Um I found that I still struggled like to, to pass. I just found that, you know, the, the concentration was a factor for me still, but because it was, I was passionate about it. I think that kind of helped get me through. But one of the things that I recognized was that it was, 
it was one of those things like I just had to get through it. And I still wasn't consuming a very healthy diet back then. Um, when I was in my teens as, as a butcher coming through, my diet was really bad. It was just pretty much all processed animal-based junk food stuff, microwave meals and things, just crap. And then when I started to get into the butchery stuff, or started to get into the fitness stuff, sorry, and, and, and learn these nutrition principles and things, it, it went from being more processed animal-based junk food stuff to just like higher whole food animal-based stuff. So like it was a lot of eggs and a lot of chicken, a lot of canned tuna. And I was doing the traditional bodybuilding stuff. Mm-hmm. And I still didn't feel that good. I noticed that, you know, there wasn't a lot of huge shifts in terms of how I felt mentally. I noticed that I was making physical improvements because I'd come from just being sedentary, not training to then training. And I think anyone who does that is going to see physical progressions if they just stick with it long enough. But so I got through um, this, this two year, it was a compressed three year course in two years. And I got through this process where we had to learn all these paradigms around animal consumption, eating animal-based products to achieve a certain result. Like you said, it was not congruent with plant-based nutrition. Um, I don't even think from memory there was even a lot of curriculum around plant-based proteins or anything of that nature. It was predominantly just an animal-based paradigm. And... And so what, like, what were you learning every day? Was it like, you know, potassium for a week and vitamin E for another week? Yeah. So it was, it was like you said, it was to do with, you know, micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, electrolytes. We'd learn the basics around those things. It was a lot of anatomy and human structure and function and stuff as well. So like movement patterns, how different muscle groups, you know, work together to create certain movements and, you know, anatomical planes and things. But the nutrition side of things was, for the most part, just kind of tied into just performance and sport. It wasn't really conducive with, with optimal health and, and disease prevention as well. So, because, you know, that's the thing is that you can try to perform at a higher level in the gym or in a sport, but it may not necessarily be congruent with optimal health. And I think for the most part, this was really focused on performance, short-term performance. Right. So this, as is, opposed- this is a, uh, a benign form of like, you know, doping. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, much. if you, if you, if you, yeah. uh, you know, inject EPO and, uh, and HGH, yeah. you'll do better. Right? Yeah. Your- and it was, it was, it was like, it was like, but you're just taking it in food form, mm-hmm. but but it's not taught, it's not tying in those facts of sort of optimal health and longevity long term. And so so I learned those things and then I got out of that and I started like a lot of fitness people do in this non vegan world, promoting non vegan diets and, and that whole paradigm. And it took it's funny because I look back now and I recognize that my journey came in stages where I would hit a certain level and then I would recognize that I needed to change something in order to grow. And the, the, the change came, you know, years, a few years back now where um, my wife, when I moved to the U S um, she's into fitness as well. And she was never a huge meat eater to begin with, but I was. And I remember she read me this book called the world peace diet by Dr. Will Tuttle. 
and he talks a lot about the types of energies you're consuming and he talks a lot about the masculine and feminine around um, eating animals, hunting and gathering and he kind of ties it all together with nutrition and, and energy and the way you feel and the way you see the world and into this neat package that made complete sense to me. At the time where I was in, I'd, I'd come a long way with my own personal development. So I really appreciated the mental stuff and the higher consciousness stuff. And so when I was hearing this message, I was like, man, like everything he's saying completely makes sense to me. Uh, here I am talking about um, optimal health and, you know, longevity and optimal performance and peace and, and love. And, but I'm, I'm consuming animals like, you know, tons of animal products and so it's not really conducive with them optimal health or peace and love or any of those things so i was like you know i feel i felt conflicted and all of a sudden i'd never seen it before and then it just came to the surface and i was like i saw what i was saying was not really lining up with like how i was acting mm. and it even reflected in 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 my blood work so on the surface i looked relatively lean i had some muscles but my, my cholesterol was pretty elevated. My triglycerides were high. Even my fasting glucose levels were elevated. And I was 28 at the time. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, here I am eating, like, all these whole animal-based foods. I mean, I was eating way more than the average person does in terms of, like, eggs and chicken and fish and stuff. I mean, it was, like, double and triple portions per serving. Hmm. And, and my blood work was just not good and i didn't feel good i felt lethargic all the time i'd come a long way from where i was but i still didn't feel like what i sh what i felt like i should be feeling like. mm -hmm. i was like you know i just feel like there's so much more that i i'm not experiencing and so, it's like yeah so so what, what what were you doing at this time you had a, a private practice as a yeah as well so so we had we'd gone from doing like um personal training and boot camp training groups, um, and we'd moved completely online. So we'd, we'd shifted from the physical location, and we would still do some sort of one-on-one -on -one client Who's work. Who's me? me? Me and my wife, Lauren. Okay, so so yeah. Lauren, what's what? Can we bring her into the story? Because yeah, I, yeah, I, mean, I love you know. I talk to people like Josh and Rich Roll and people who have like these wives who seem to be sort of like patiently waiting at the top of some spiritual mountain for the men to like <laughs> I love, F and catch yeah. up and get there. <laughs> Dude, that's hilarious. I love that. It's yeah. She, she's one of those people. She's amazing. She's very, you know, spiritual and she loves Wayne Dyer's work and all these people who just have this, this deep insight into the human mind. And, she'd already had a curiosity about veganism and plant-based diets and she loves animals. She wants to have an animal rescue. We have tons of adopted dogs and cats. She's born and raised Louisiana. So she's just, she grew up, she was born in new Orleans, but just grew up North of new Orleans. Um, and she went to Louisiana state university and studied kinesiology and nutrition. Again, the, the old paradigm, uh -huh. um, and we met through Facebook. Um, it's funny. I was in New Zealand. She was here um, about seven years ago, I think, maybe more. Um, we met through Facebook, through a fitness forum. Hmm. And we just, we just connected. Like we were both in that same space in terms of like what we enjoyed, what we valued. 
and we started talking. And then I think a year later, we, we would talk on Skype. And then a year later, I got a plane ticket and came over and, and I never really looked back. Um, so we're, we're married now. We're expecting a child in, in July. Congratulations. So, um, thank you. So, yeah, it's de- and definitely like you said with, with Rich and, and Josh and stuff, like she's this person who's on this spiritual mountain and she just kind of – one of the things that I love about her is that she's never really – she's never forced me down the path. She's always, she's kind of motivated me through her own leadership. So she's never said, you know, you needed to be vegan or you need to stop eating so much chicken or whatever it was. She would just demonstrate through her own actions. And I would see that and it would make me curious. And I would, I would take it upon myself to, to follow. Gotcha. And, um, and so we, we went from, you know, doing these private personal training sessions and these boot camp sessions to completely online. But it was a, it was a non-vegan business about five, six years ago. Now it was a non-vegan business. I'm online. And then, you know, it was funny. The day came, I remember um, over three years ago now when we decided to go vegan and we were like, you know what? Like we can't knowingly condone or endorse, you know, programs and nutrition with animal-based foods in them anymore like we don't even do that ourselves like one we don't even eat it ourselves anymore we don't believe in it we don't think it's the best way we think there's a there's a healthier way there's a more compassionate way there's a better way and so we completely rebranded and started from the scratch we'd already start had a business with programs and clients and and all the stuff was already going and we we reformatted the whole thing because you know, our conviction was and our belief was that strong that we knew that we had to do this. Um, and, you know, the, the best part, Howard, is that when we did, it's only got better from there. Um, mm-hmm. It only got better in terms of the clients we help, the people we've reached, just the growth of our online business. Um, so it's been such a fulfilling experience. And it's funny because, you know, if you ask me 10 or 15 years ago, as a butcher, would I be a, a vegan nutritionist doing online coaching in the US um, <laughs> and living, living in, down in Louisiana? I, I just like would have been like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what? Like, what is that? What does it even look like? Um, so so, yeah. so when, you, when you shifted and rebranded, did you expect that you were going to lose all your clientele? Yeah, yes and no. It was, it was funny because... It, it, I said to, I remember saying to my wife, you know, at the time there was a, there was a group of people who just really trusted us and they, they liked us enough that they wanted to make the change too. They wanted to try this. And so they followed us and there was a lot of people who, who did it. And they were like, you know, this is just not for me. It's not something I want to do. And I, and I made that remark to my wife. I'm like, you know, isn't it crazy that we can, we can prescribe, you know, animal based ketogenic diets to people we could literally just tell them to do anything that's not vegan and they would pretty much do it but as soon as you bring up the word like plant-based diet or vegan they're like i can't do that it's uh, it's not for me and it's like here you were like we could have pretty much made you do anything else that they they could have been massively detrimental to your health and you would have done it but now that we want you to do this, that's that we feel is way healthier and just so much better across the board. And now it's not for you. And so like we did have that group of people who were kind of like that. And we just had to learn that we could only help who wanted to be helped. 
Um, we, we could only influence those people who were, who were curious and had an open mind. And we were lucky enough that we had a, a good bunch of people who did come with us. I mean, we did lose some clients, but one of the things that I recognized is that in doing that and aligning ourselves with those values, we brought in so many new, amazing people, um, much more than we had had before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it was just such a testament to the plant-based vegan community that there's just a, a really, like, you know, th- there's always conflict and there's always challenges and there's always people who inflame in any movement. But I think for the most part within this movement, there's just some really good people. And they just really want to help each other. And they really care about this, the, the growth and expansion of this idea. And I noticed that with, with what we were doing. People would just share us, share what we do, and share my story. Like, that's why I always come back, even now, years on, I'll still share my story from Butcher to Vegan. Because I recognize that not everyone um, came to veganism as a vegetarian or came to veganism as someone who didn't eat a lot of meat to begin with or... What if, for whatever reason, they might have been a ferocious meat eater or, you know, a slaughterhouse worker or a dairy farmer or whatever. And I'm like, if I can show those people that this way of life is is amazing and and really fulfilling and super healthy and just so many benefits, um, then I want to share that story. So you you weren't feeling so great on your high lean meat diet. You had, you had kind of not so great blood work numbers. And then you read the world peace diet and it makes sense from yeah. this very cosmic place. It sounds like, but, yeah. but at that point you still had many years of nutrition education under your belt. Did you have to, like, were you just convinced at that point or did you have to look up other stuff? Like what else did you do to, yeah. to, to shift the whole package of your thinking? It's a good point because I think this is where most people hit the stumbling block, right? So like most people on their head, they're like, right, I read something, I heard something, it makes sense, I want to do this. And, but then they're like, well, what do I do from here? Like, how do I take that belief and turn it into something technical or something like a, an actual step? Mm-hmm. And um, it's, a, it's a great point. And so I think one of the first resources that I was looking at was veganhealth.org. And it's, it's a really good website in terms of just explaining the basics to you about the vitamins and minerals. Um, it tells you where to get different sources of nutrients. It tells you the types of amounts you should try and consume them in. And that was just one of the first things I found because it was recommended to me because I believe that a vegan dietitian had created it. So I was like, okay, a vegan dietitian, this is someone that's obviously you know studied this stuff. And so I followed that. And then I obviously over time hear about other things like, you know, nutritionfacts.org with Dr. Greger um, and, you know, Neil Barnard and T. Colin Campbell and all these other, you know, people who have just contributed so much to the expansion of this movement. And even Rich Roll. And for example, we just got his plant powered way book and sent it to my parents because they're starting to get into the plant-based diet stuff. And so we sent that to them and, it was just a, an accumulation of different things. But one of the things that I, I think I, in my head, I was like, right, what I can do is I'll pick one recipe per week and I'll just start playing around. So I'll just start experimenting. So I found um, different vegan websites like uh, Minimalist Baker is one. 
one green planet was another and they had lots of just diverse recipes i mean it was just so much i was almost i was actually blown away with like how diverse a plant-based diet was in my head i i was thinking it just looks like it just looked like kale salads and 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 raw food and there's i mean there's nothing like wrong with that stuff but in my head i was coming from this like high meat diet and i was like what is this and the more i saw stuff online i was like man there's just so much food out there I ne- i've never even eaten before <laughs> and i th- and i think a lot of people realize that they're like they get to this this vegan lifestyle and they're like i have not even like lived like i've lived in this very small scope of the grocery store and there's this massive like world of food choices that i've just never even tried and um so i remember one of the first like meals that i would make all the time was was a quinoa was a quinoa salad a red quinoa salad because in my head, I was still kind of fo- too focused on the minutia. So I was still like focused on complete amino acid profiles and things, thinking that, um, you know, I needed to get like every meal had to be complete. Mm-hmm. And so I would do lots and lots of quinoa, basically. <laughs> and then uh, the more I learned and the more I spoke to people and the more I tried things, I realized that, one, the protein requirements that I was shooting for were just like obnoxiously high to begin with. And so I didn't even need to be shooting for that much. And the second thing was I recognized that, you know, all plants inherently have all the amino acids. They're just not necessarily in the, like the optimal ratio. So as long as I ate a reasonably sort of diverse bunch of different plant-based foods, it would come together and, and pull together and cover everything. And so over time, I kind of let that fear go. So I stopped eating as much you know, my protein requirement, I mean, I was consuming 250 to 300 grams a day um, at, at 100, at the time at 180 pounds body weight. I'm about 205 now, but it went down and down. And, and what I was, so what I said to myself was I was like, right, I'm going to try this for a week or this, this particular meal or this particular sort of macro split or calorie intake. I'm going to try it and see how I feel. Um, if I don't feel good, I'll increase it again and I'll go back to what I was doing in terms of eating more protein, even if it's plants. Um, and what I noticed was that there was no negative, nothing bad happened. Uh, in my head, I was curious because I was like, am I going to feel weaker? Am I going to lose weight? Am I going to, you know, X, Y, Z, all these different things you hear about vegans and stuff. And so I had it in the back of my head, but I wasn't allowing it to kind of dictate my actions. And I just found that... I could only find positive things happening. My, my sleeping started to, to improve. I noticed that I was recovering faster. I didn't seem to get a sore in the gym. My digestion seemed to, to improve. Just there was so many little things I noticed that I was like, you know, this is so cool. Like this is just something that I didn't even think about. And it's helping me, it's helping me like feel better overall. I'm um, not to mention. Did, did you check, do you check your blood work again? Yes, and within six months of, of being vegan, my cholesterol, my total cholesterol had, had dramatically just just dropped. I mean, it was unbelievable the drop. The total was below a hundred. The total, and that, and and it used to the total used to be like two hundred and fifty. It was like I was like, this is this is something real here. Um, <laughs> that was, that like, was the, like the first A you ever got in a test, right? <laughs> dude, and like this is something, yes, and this is something really. I was like, you know, I can say I felt better, but having that, it really showed me the numbers. And 
my triglycerides went down, my fasting blood sugar levels actually normalized and dropped. Even though I started adding more fruit and, and carbohydrates into my diet, I was, I'd always been taught that these things were sugar and that's going to like, you know, mess with my fasting glucose levels and insulin sensitivity. It improved. And I was like, and that's when I really started to question everything that I think mainstream culture teaches us in terms of anything and everything, like where does diabetes come from, insulin resistance, hormonal health, just everything. I was like, now when I read something, I'm like, what is the source of this? Like, where is this coming from? Does that, go like, be, does that go beyond like food and nutrition into like, you know, oh, politics, culture, philosophy, everything, right? Dude, like everything. It goes across. It was almost like waking up from the matrix. <laughs> I was just saying like you, kale is the, is the blue pill. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you wake up out of the pod and you're looking around. And so not only do you notice that there's these paradigms within nutrition and training and health that seem to be orchestrated in some way, but you see it in religion, you see it in politics, you see it in, you know, just the way that people conduct themselves and the things that they believe are, are true or false or right or wrong. Like, you know, race, race relations, um, sexism, um, all those different things. And now, so that's why I say to people like veganism was so much more than just a diet for me because it opened up that idea that, okay, if I can consume less protein and I can do all these things that seem to fly in the face of mainstream nutrition and I can take my, my total cholesterol from 250 all the way to below 100, my hormone levels can optimize my, you know, all these different things can normalize and my blood work can look good for the first time. Like the, like you said, it's the first test I'd ever really felt like I got an A for and made me realize that what else am I missing? You know, like what else in terms of like politics and religion and, ma and mainstream news and TV and sports and all these different things am I missing in terms of like a paradigm around like a belief system and around like what we think we should be doing. Um, and that just really opened that door in terms of like awareness and mental and personal development for me. Um, I'm just so thankful. Like that connection you just talked about there has probably been the most profound thing for me mm -hmm. yeah so who who do you find that you know your story particularly resonates with like we all sort of have a niche you know yeah um, yeah uh you know rip esselstyn can speak to firefighters very effectively like, I, don't <laughs> yeah. know, I don't know how many butchers there are but do you, it feels like yeah. you have been through the dark night of the soul of toxic masculinity in a way that <laughs> few of us can imagine yeah and i'm wondering like what you know, what, what do you see now is the gift of all the hard parts of your story in terms of your ability to, to be a, to be a beacon. I love that. And, you know, I just want to say like, you have very thoughtful questions and I love that because it's like the, cause they're very, they're constructed so well. And I, and I mean, it really creates good discussion. Um, nice. But I definitely feel like a lot of people who come to me tend to be of, Two, two types of people and they and they do overlap to some extent um one is people who have come from a place of mental health struggle um you know whether it be anxiety or depression or um, just a body disorder or anything relating to their mind which to be honest with you is is most people i would say like the majority of people in, in mainstream society have some degree of mental challenges 
Um, and then it overlaps into fitness where I find a lot of people who come to me also are uh, uh, fitness people, like personal trainers or they're into fitness and they watch What the Health or they watch Forks Over Knives or they watch Earthlings or Cowspiracy and they're like, I want to do this. I just have no idea where to begin. And you, you seemed like a very approachable, like kind person. And so like, I want to approach you because I feel like you're not going to, you're not going <laughs> to attack me. You're not going to attack me. Um, so it's definitely that, uh, that combination of people who are into fitness and, and optimizing the health more from where they were, but they're looking for the right avenue. And sometimes they overlap with people who have come from a lot of mental health struggles and things where they're like, you know, I saw your story on bipolar disorder and, and, you know, your ups and downs and and suicidal episodes and things and addiction. And like, I'm, I'm still there or I'm getting out of there. And I want to know like what you did in terms of, you know, your journey on how did you get to where you are now? And, and I, you know, I'll share with them. I'm still learning. Um, I'm not, I, I've come a long way from where I was, but I recognize that it's not like I'm reached this, this pinnacle, this, this point where, um, I have all the answers. And in fact, I have my, uh, I have some of my own answers, but I recognize that everyone really has to find their own ones too. Everyone's story and every, the way everyone evolves is going to be slightly different. So I definitely think that, it's as I noticed, like with our brand, we definitely attract a lot of people who are brand new to veganism and are just looking for like that approachable person, mm. and and a lot of the the mental health stuff, which really I think is a huge part of um, you know society's challenges as a whole. Yeah, and I'm, I'm realizing that I really I didn't pick up on that thread at all in in the conversation. I'm, I'm yeah. kind of like curious to, in my in my own mind why I didn't. And, and I think, I, I think probably it would be a whole other hour conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but maybe if you, you know, we, we, yeah, can, we can put a, put an intention to, to talk about that more deeply. Um, but if, you know, like you are on like the meds for bipolar and for anxiety yep. or and depression, or these are some of the most addictive, yeah. potentially harmful, like brain damaging things out there. How did you like, you know, it's a great question. I, I mean, are I mean you, you know, are you off of them? How did, yeah, like, yeah. What, I've, I've, like, how did that go down? So I've been medication free for about eight years now. Mm. Um, so I, I became medication free before I was vegan, but I definitely feel like it was a next step in my own journey. So I was on lithium carbonate for bipolar disorder, which is a pretty heavy duty medication. I mean, I, I remember I had to go get blood work done every week or two. Because the, it's so to, it's it's so potentially toxic that if your blood levels become unstable, it can you can have serious effects. It's not like something that you just excrete through your urine if you consume too much. Mm. Um, you can you can literally get toxicity in your blood from this medication. And I'm so I remember getting blood tests all the time, and um, I just I just took it like I didn't research about it i didn't try and learn about it i was in a place where i was like you know what i'm just going to take this because i'm so lost yeah and 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 i and looking back now i kind of wish that i just tried to do a little bit of my own research because i might have stumbled across something to do with nutrition and and brain health or i don't know like I, i looking back now i can't say why i just 
just took it willingly like that. But I recognize now where, like, I always encourage people, like, try and exhaust the options, like nutrition, exercise, all these other things. And I took um, clonazepam, which I think is, I want to say it's um, Vicodin, maybe, like the, the brand name, the clonazepam. It's like a hard sedative. And I took that for social anxiety. Um, and then I would take Ritalin, so Adderall for um, ADHD. And looking back now, I, I recognize that all it, all that it was doing was I was taking the clonazepam, which would like put me into the sedated zombie state. And then I would take the Ritalin to pick me up and put like pull me out of the zombie state, almost like had me running like I was on meth. Mm. And, and I go up and down on this roller coaster, which looks like manic depression. And then I'd be taking the lithium, like because it looked like manic depression, and and the diet was terrible. I was just consuming so much processed junk, and I wasn't getting outdoors. I wasn't exercising. I was drinking. So everything was conducive with with poor health. And I remember when I started to clean my diet up as a non-vegan. And I started to notice physical changes and I started to feel a little bit better. And that's when I started to have those realizations that, you know what, like, I wonder if I can do it without these medications because I hadn't read anything about the addictive nature of these things. I hadn't read anything about the long-term effects on your brain health, um, you know, synapses or any of that. I hadn't, I hadn't been exposed to anything that would make me feel like I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was just like, you know, like maybe it's just like coming off like uh, Advil. I don't know. And so I spoke to my um, psychiatrist and I said to him, look, I, I want to try and wean myself off these medications. Is this something that you can support me with? And I was just lucky that I had someone who he did support that. He, he, he didn't advise, he advised against it but I think it was more for like legal reasons to sort of protect himself mm-hmm. um, because you have to, I mean, he, if he says, Oh no, go off that. And then I commit suicide. He could be in a lot of trouble, right. but he, he, so he, he said this, so we would taper my dose down over a period of eight, you know, four to eight weeks. I, I think it was eight weeks taper, to, taper the dose down. And it got to the point where I, I got off that and I haven't looked back since. I mean, I was just one of those people lucky enough to have the, the belief and the, the vision that I, I didn't feel like I needed it. And I've said to people before, and I know this sometimes causes, you know, a degree of controversy with some people is that I think a lot of mental health problems are dietary related. Like part of it's dietary. So part of it's dietary, part of it is just overall lifestyle. They're not, they're sedentary. They're not getting a lot of sun exposure. They're not around good, positive people. They're not putting positive content into their head. They're not consuming healthy, whole plant foods. And I think that that systemic effect of a lot of processed junk food is, is just playing havoc on their brain chemistry. You couple that with being sedentary and alcohol consumption and all these other things. And I think that just really proliferates the the brain health dysfunction and i think that's true for me so like when i say to people now i don't think those diagnoses were inherently true mm. i think they were they were true at the time it was true for me at that time in that situation but i think that it's not something that's genetically hardwired into me i think that it was more environmental right nor nor was that, nor was your problem a deficiency of lithium carbonate exactly so it was 
I think it was an environmental um, instability with brain chemistry that was created by because I, I I didn't even know, and even uh, once I'd studied nutrition, I still didn't know that these different foods create different brain chemistry responses, you know, serotonin releases, dopamine releases, adrenaline releases. And so you literally alter your brain chemistry by how you eat. And I, we didn't even learn that. And I didn't even know that. And, and so now when I look back, I think to myself, man, I was consuming bottles of Coke. I was drinking, eating packs of cooked chocolate cookies. I was drinking gallons of milk. I was, and I think to myself, I can only imagine like, what was that effect on my brain like mm-hmm. sure. and my guts, like the inflammation in my digestion, which then can potentially proliferate into brain inflammation via the vagus nerve and different. There's just so many different things. And so I definitely feel like for me, I try, you know, when I, when I'm talking about medication and mental health and stuff, I'll always say, you know, obviously, you know, consult your physician, but this is what I did. And I do honestly feel like there is a huge, a huge part of mental health that is nutritional lifestyle related, um, is especially for myself. Right. So before I let you go, I want you to talk about your 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 current work. I see yeah. your for those of us who those of you who are watching, you've got an evolving alpha. Hat that's, on. It, that's, yeah. that's your yeah. that's your training business. I, I find it fascinating that you've got the word alpha in there, considering what yeah. we talked about <laughs> earlier. Yeah, and and the, and the reason you know it's funny because like that whole concept comes around from the fact that our goal and our mission is to evolve and transcend what that term even means. So you know, it's sort of typically in, in mainstream culture. Alpha means, you know, the strongest, potentially the most violent, tough person. Um, That's the leader. And we want to evolve that term alpha into someone who is strong through compassion, who's strong through taking that road less traveled, who's strong through moving into a minority because they know that it's the the better thing to do and they're not going to buckle to the peer pressure and sort of the, the whim of mainstream culture. And so we want to evolve what the term alpha even represents. And so that's how Evolving Alpha came to be. Um, we do we do online vegan nutrition and training all around the world. So, like, you know, we're lucky, we're fortunate enough that we have clients in, you know, countries all over the world. Um, we, we sort of specialize. And the funny thing is that we, we, we specialize a lot in, personal development stuff alongside the the lifestyle and the nutrition and things. Cause I, I recognize that very often it's not just enough to have an eating plan and a training plan. If your mind is not steering the ship in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And so we, we tie a lot of the, the personal development stuff into our programs and into the way we approach, you know, plant-based vegan nutrition and, and training and workouts and, and things like that. So, um, you know, you can find us on Facebook, um, Evolving Alpha. We're on Instagram at Evolving Alpha. And our website is www.evolvingalpha.com. And um, you can find all our contact information on those various sites and stuff. Okay. And, yeah. yeah. Keep going. Yeah. 
Yes, I mean, if you if, if anyone wants to reach out to us, you know, feel free to contact us via messages on Instagram or Facebook or email or any of those things. That's awesome. In fact, last week I did a an interview with an author, uh, Carl Safina, who wrote a yep. book called Beyond Words, and it's uh, so he's a naturalist and he spent time with elephants, uh, killer whales, orcas, and the gray wolves of Yellowstone, and wow. he was writing about the idea of alpha. And yeah. it's like the, 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 the alpha wolves were, you know, they were the breeding pair. They weren't mm. mean or aggressive. Like this one, like the most famous wolf in Yellowstone, this guy named 21, because they were named after their, their number tags. Like he said he never lost a fight with another wolf and he never killed a wolf that he defeated. Um, wow. And, you know, it's that's like cool. When he was, when he was, a, you know, became a sire, he would play with his pups and he would let them win. Like he would pretend yeah. to lose. Like that was the alpha. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's definitely like, com- like strength through compassion and mm. strength through empathy. And I think strength hu- through humility. Um, and like, hey, like we can often learn so much from the way animals conduct themselves. Um, we are an animal after all. It's just we've, we've kind of strayed from our natural inclinations a, a lot of the time. So, right. Wow. Take, I'm taking a second just to appreciate you and our time <laughs> together and the energy you're, you're, you're putting out into the world. Howard, I, I really appreciate it. I mean, yeah, I, I love the, our talk. I hope it was brings value to your listeners. Um, the questions were amazing, insightful, probing, deep. Um, you can't ask for much more, you know. Oh, well, th- I mean, you've got such a, a rich narrative and, and you have, I want to say milked it, but that's already, <laughs> we need some good, me- uh, well, we need well, vegan metaphors. It, right? <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've pounded it into wine, <laughs> into, a, into a higher, higher essence. So, um, yeah, I'd love to, have, to continue this conversation. I can't wait to, to, me- to meet that. you and, and your wife, your wife is Lauren, right? Yes. To meet you guys right. in person sometime. And Definitely. In the meantime, so evolvingalpha.com on the web, yep. on Facebook, on Instagram. Yep. And, and I, I love that you, you, know, you do the entire Matrix playbook. Once, once you get the, the food right, I love that everything question. Opens like, what, everything opens up. What else yeah. is possible that I didn't think was possible? Exactly. Exactly. So Fraser Bailey, thank you so much for taking the time today. Howard, thank you. I truly appreciate you. Wow. Well, that makes you rethink what's possible for for ourselves and also for those people that we might be looking at and kind of dismissing, right? Like, you know, if I had met Fraser when he was in the in the throes of all his struggles, I probably wouldn't have seen a lot of potential in him. It, it just goes to show. All right. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast and you'd like to support the mission of the show, Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. It just takes a few seconds and it really matters. And the other meaningful way you can support the show is to become a patron, to send a few bucks every month to show your support and to help me keep doing this show, to spend the time finding the guests, preparing, doing the interviews, doing the editing, uh, publishing, promoting. The rising tide of listener contributions is allowing me to continue to vote time to this, even while that startup, Wellstart Health, is consuming more and more of my life. But I've uh, 
put a firewall around the Plant Yourself podcast because it means so much to me. And the Patreon income that I receive each month makes that possible. So you can go to plantyourself.com, look on the right sidebar for the Patreon button, and you can do it there. And again, if you're interested in the Big Change Program slash Well Start Health, you can check all that out at bigchangeprogram.com and then go sign up at wellstarthealth.com slash program. If you're new to this show, you can catch up on 265 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. In gardening news, we are dealing with the crazy weather that seems to be afflicting much of the country, you know, going up to 80 for a week. And then we had a pretty much of a freeze over the weekend and we lost all the tomato plants we put in the ground. So we've got some backup in, uh, in the greenhouse and we may have to go get some seedlings rather than having grown them all from scratch. Um, in running news, still tweaked. I did a, a decent 10 miler. I did some, uh, Sprint work last week, and if the rain lets up and I'm feeling um, limber, I might just do another quick, short speed work up a hill. Um, but still, it got my eye on recovery more than performance at this point. Okay, now it's time for the thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer, Sabali Dunn, The Dance of Peace is the theme music for this show. Will and I just connected on Facebook. I hadn't realized that we weren't connected, so he's been in my mind lately. You can go to willridenauer.com to uh, check out his entire catalog. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Got a new one this week, so listen carefully at the very end. Here they are. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hadley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Volkanovsky, David Bysak, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolman, Nova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Rosina, Julianne Rollins, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Ronson Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wynn Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franz, Victor Nett, Pedem, Gila, Sarah David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio, and Carol Nargentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderberg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Equally Mysterious, Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Namad, Molly Levine, the Inscrutable Harry R. Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Kevin Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corcoran, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabine Kurzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Shell Rutledge, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Sharon Hirschman, Kate Rolls, and the Dayat, Julie Lang, Mahal Madigard, Isa Tuzan, Wakani, Hainline, Aaron Grio, Alicia Davis, Aviva Lel, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Mirani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell. Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, and Colleen Harrison for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. Probably see you back later this week. As always, be well, my friends. Mm-hmm.